Good morning. This week we continue our series in Isaiah, Ruin to Restoration. We, care, we share a common need with Isaiah's original audience. We live in a fallen world and long for restoration. We have seen what we revere or worship will either further our ruin or lead us to restoration. For this reason, we must turn to worship the Lord, removing the idols of our hearts. Today, we will see how God's glory is key in removing the idols of our hearts. When the weight of God's glory rests in our hearts, all other affections will be removed, restoring our hearts and lives in worship to him. Hear the word of the Lord. This is from Isaiah 45, 18 through 25, I think. <laughs> 40, 48, 11? 48, 11, just kidding. <laughs> For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory will not give to another. Join me in the responsive reading. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Laurel. Got a little curveball there with numbers. You know, I'm never good with numbers, ever. If you know me at all, I'm horrible with numbers. Um, but we're grateful uh, to be able to study uh, the Word of God. And we are going to look at probably the two verses that are around um, Isaiah 48, 11, uh, 9 to 11, and a little bit at verse 12. I'd encourage you to please open your Bibles. Uh, as we get rolling, I just want to, I, I don't normally do this, uh, but I've just got people in town today that I just love dearly. And uh, Jenny and Tony Dentman are back here, just friends of mine. Can y'all wave your hand, stand up or something? And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm pointing them out because uh, there are just people that are anointed with the Spirit of God and, and their faithfulness of the service and fruitfulness of, of our Lord. And I uh, just am so grateful for you all. I'm very proud of you, and we're glad you're with us today. So if you have a moment after service, get to know him. We're glad all of our visitors are here. And don't worry, we're not going to call you out individually. <laughs> we're just kind of going, I don't like this place. We're going here to the Word. We're going to continue our series, uh, uh, Ruin to Restoration, as we look at the second part of Isaiah, and it's going to get a lot of fun as we head into our season of Lent and work our way up to uh, Easter. We're very excited about what God's Word has to say to us. And, and you heard Laurel's introduction. Uh, really, we are a people that identify with Isaiah's original audience longing to be restored, and we have a temptation. We can look to the cultural powers uh, for things that only God can give us, security, significance, strength sustainability, status, hope, or we can look to the Lord for those things because he is the only one who is designed and can deliver on those things that our hearts are longing for. The whole premise of this series is that what we revere, that is what we worship, is either going to further our ruin or it's going to lead us to restoration. And so we must, in response to God's grace, return to him and worship him alone. So there's too, many, too much of our series to, to really catch you up on, but I do want to uh, say that I've been very encouraged by the interaction with the series. 
I've had several people email me, text me, talk to me about uh, specifically the last couple of weeks have been on idolatry of our hearts. What do our hearts treasure in the weightiness of that? And I've, I've had several people uh, mention the same kind of theme to me. They've said, Mitchell, uh, I've been able to reflect on my own heart, what my heart treasures, what my heart values, and I'm trying to turn from that so I can return to the Lord, but I've got a problem. It keeps coming up, other idols keep rising up. As soon as I knock one down, another idol comes out. And I just have this image of like whack-a-mole in my head. You ever play that game, whack-a-mole? Probably the biggest waste of time of any arcade game there is, right? It's the dumbest game ever. You have a, a pole, po- like you're holding something with a pad on it, and, and these moles come up, and you whack them. What are we going to call this fun game? I don't know, whack-a-mole, Yeah. So a mole comes up, bang. Another one comes up, bang. And then they come up and you just, the whole point is you can't whack all the moles. And so I get this image as people have been helpfully engaging me on this topic. Mitchell, how can I whack an idol? How can I, how can I get rid of them? Because as soon as I address one issue of my heart, another one comes up and I feel like I'm trying. And I say, yeah, today we're going to get to really the root issue. How do you deal with the underlining climate that perpetuates this constant arising of idols? The Bible teaches us that when we delight in the Lord, that he gives us the desires of our heart. This is to say when we understand what God has done for us and who he is and his love for us, it looks very different than we think. But when we understand that, then the affection of our hearts grows. The word for God's intimate presence with his people, the weight of the significance that he has in our lives, when he becomes our treasure, is glory. And Isaiah is going to, on the one hand, promise God's people who are looking for restoration, there's only one way to truly find it. It's in the Lord. And on the other hand, it is manifest in his glory that he is going to claim. And so we need to get with this program for his, your benefit and his plan and his glory. So let me pray for us as we go into this passage, uh, and then we're going to look at the word of the Lord together. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we join Moses, and we ask, would you show us your glory? We want to not be like who we read about in John chapter 1, when you were described, Jesus, as being on earth, full of glory, the glory of God made known to creation, but the world did not recognize you. Lord, would you please reveal yourself to us, Help us to know you more fully so that we feel the weight of your presence and the significance of honoring you with all of our lives. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, look at the, look at the verse down here. For my own sake, my, my own sake I do it. How should I, my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. Can you say that last line with me? My glory I will not give to another. God is zealous for his own glory. And his glory is an end to our life, but it's also the means to which we can address the underlining realities that contribute to this endless game of whack and idol. What is glory? Well, the Hebrew word for glory uh, is, is kavod, all right? It can also be translated weight. And if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, one of his most famous essays that was turned into a book is called The Weight of Glory. And it's a play on that word. I encourage you uh, to use it. But the idea of something carrying weight, it, it's something of importance. It's something that is worthy of honor. It's something that's worthy of our attention, 
And that is what this word connotates. We use this all the time uh, in, in our common language. Uh, have you ever been frustrated because something you prioritize, it didn't carry the weight that you wanted it to with other people? No one was really feeling the weight of what you were trying to communicate. Have you ever tried to throw your weight behind something, trying to help give it priority, but there's someone else who's throwing their weight around and causing a distraction? You see, the idea of something weighty is to communicate significance, importance, priority, or glory. And you say, Mitchell, thank you, but your idea doesn't carry much weight for me. Can you talk about some other weightier matter, like when you're going to finish so I can go eat? I get it. But I say to that, see, see, your priority. There you go. That's what I'm talking about right there, Peyton. Your priority, what you honor, what you carry weight in, that is then your glory. And God is saying, my honor, my glory, the weight of who I am, I will not give to another. And this fits seamlessly into the contrast of, of Isaiah's proclamation of the people of God who are tempted in the midst of their ruin to look to the gods of their culture, or the gods of the land, uh, to give them what only the living God can give them. God has said from the beginning, all through his word, that he alone is worthy of glory. One of my favorite places is, is uh, Psalms 86, verse 9. In particular, this word, weight and glory, honor and glory. There's a beautiful play on it in that passage where, where the psalmist uh, reminds us that there is no other God who carries the honor of the Lord. No other God is worthy of his glory. Only the weight of God is worthy of the honor and glory because he is the creator and redeemer. It uses, the Bible uses this word in other ways too, like Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, where the, the wisdom for God's people is that you are to honor, that is, give weight to the Lord with all of your possessions. He goes on to say, honor the Lord, give weight to the Lord, give glory to the Lord with the first fruits of your harvest. That is to say that what you treasure and prioritize in life as the people of God is designed to be a vehicle to give God glory and honor. You are never the destination. You are always the steward. And the way that we deal with the underlining ecosystem that contributes to the idol, a whack and idol culture that we want to eliminate from our own hearts is that we understand the dynamics that God gives us in his kingdom. And Jesus says it simply, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And if your treasure is in anything of this culture, where you're looking to security, strength, satisfaction, status, those things that only God can give you, really give you, those things, that treasure will crush you. They're too heavy. But God, in his love and his grace, has carried the heaviest thing, that is the weight of our sin, on the cross, so that he can say to you, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then all that we have and all that we steward go for his glory and his name. Now, we talk about God's love in here all the time, and, and we've, we've mentioned in past sermons, uh, how do we really diagnose our idols? Well, here's how we've done it. We've said, how do you answer this question? What is it that you love more than the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? How do you fill in that blank? God, I would love you with all of my heart if it wasn't for this relationship, or this goal, or this job, or this uh, asset. If it wasn't for that, then I would love you with everything. 
You see, that's the idol. And we talked about how it's a, a love relationship. And you say, well, Mitchell, it doesn't sound very loving, right? I mean, my glory I will not give to another. That sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? Well, let's look at really where we see God's love in this passage. It's all through here, but I want to highlight uh, just a couple of verses in the limited time that we have. Start at verse 9. Please look at that. Can you put it on the screen for me? Look what he says. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give another, to another. My glory. He has refined his people in the furnace of affliction. In his anger, he has restrained it. Now, where is love in that? Let me tell you. When you really love someone, or you really love some place, then you're going to do everything you can for that to be fruitful, for that person to be whole. If you don't love them, you're not going to risk intervening. It costs you too much, maybe even your reputation. Real accountability, real love necessitates that you keep what is harming someone away from them. If you're in a relationship and someone's struggling with pornography, you love that person, you're going to do everything you can to help them be free from that. That's real love. If you're in a relationship or you know somebody that struggles with materialism and they don't manage their money, but their money manages them and they have debt upon debt upon debt, your way to love them is to stand in between that and to try to remove them from that cycle. If you've ever had addiction in your family, a very real thing that causes tremendous damage, and you really love somebody, you do not stand by and watch their life and their relationships be destroyed by addiction. What do you do? You try to stand in between them. And you try to bring them freedom. And I stand up here as one who is grateful for someone who, many people who have loved me in that way. By loving me the hard way. Well, God says my love has been shown to Israel because I've withheld my anger. But in his anger, he has tried them, refined them in the furnace of affliction. Why would he refine his people in the furnace of affliction? That does not sound like where I want to go on Valentine's Day. It doesn't sound like love, but it is. The discipline of the Lord, according to Hebrews 10 and Proverbs 3, is a sign of his love for his children. And it is the very thing that God has used exile to help his people open their hands from their idols. To return back to him. You see, that's what he says right there. He says, I have done it, I have, that I, in verse 9, that I may not cut you off. And you look at your life and you say, wow, I can identify with that furnace of affliction. But I wonder, is God refining you? Is he challenging you to let go of his idols? The idols of your heart, those things that you treasure more than him? He might be. He's taken me through seasons of discipline in my life. Furnace of affliction. And when I come back on the other side, man, I am grateful.
because I know God loves me enough not to leave me where I am, but that's not the point of this. That's the context of love. What does glory have to do with it, Mitchell? He says this. It seems really selfish. He's done all this. Look at verse 9. For my own sake. Look at verse 9. For my praise. Look at verse 11. For my own sake. He repeats it. For my own sake that I've done this. My glory I will not give to another. How can it be for his own sake and loving to me that he is zealous for his glory and he doesn't want me worshiping things of my heart, things of our culture. How can it be loving to God and beneficial to me if I turn from my idols and give him a glory? I mean, I know six-year-olds that really demand attention and glory, and it seems selfish. Is that what God's doing? No, not at all. Here's the thing about God, and here's the thing about creatures. His creatures, if we hunger for glory and live for glory, it crushes us. It never satisfies us. When have you ever seen someone who lives for status of how many likes they have or how many followers they have just say, that's enough, I'm satisfied? When have you ever been in a grocery store line at HEB and you've seen a tabloid that says, celebrities perfectly content, they need no one else to like them. When have you ever given a gift to a child that he wanted for Christmas and a year later they have said, no thank you, what you gave me last year is enough. Our hearts are created. We long for more. We can't, the more glory we get, the more we need. That's why the tabloid headlines are all about divorce. They're all about addiction. They're all about tragedy. We're not created to, to hold the glory and the fame that our hearts long for, but we are created to give glory to God. That's what you're created for. You're vessels for glory. You are intended in every part of your life to give him glory. We understand this on a relational standpoint, okay? We understand nobody on uh, Valentine's Day, nobody describes, oh, we had a great date. It was I went, we did everything that I wanted to do. I got, you know, I went and got the barbecue that I want. I went and saw the movie that I want. I went and did this thing that I want and did the place that I want. It was so great. Though the great Valentine's Day is, man, my wife or my girlfriend, she really wanted to do this and we did it. And she felt super special. That there's tremendous joy in meeting the need and celebrating the love and life of somebody else. That is the whole point of showing love and serving. It's this relational principle that people forget in their marriage, actually. When we get more and more selfish and try to take, take, take from the other spouse, they never measure up because they're never intended to give you that. And what happens? We get frustrated and angry, and our hands that started out like this end up like this because we're not getting what we want. But the principle of relationship is that when you give and you look at the other person as more significant than yourself, then somehow there's more life found in that. We're created to give glory to God and to look at ourselves and to consider him more than ourselves. But we don't do that, do we? We struggle with that. I do. Maybe you're immune from it. They did. Look at the passage. Look at the way God describes verse 4. Real quick contest. He says, because I know you are obstinate. That is stubborn. Verse 8. He says, uh, for I know that you surely deal treacherously, and that before birth you were called a rebel. These are people that have turned against God, but he was determined to not cut them off. 
out of his covenant love and his covenant faithfulness to them. He's a personal God. You see it verse 12, he says, listen to me, O Jacob. Up at verse 1, hear this, O house of Jacob. That word Shema is repeated, listen to me. It's an intimate word. Hear, O Israel. Listen to me. Ten times in this passage, ten times, God is intimately, personally trying to say something to a rebellious people like myself, like you, who have looked to things of this world to give us what only he can give us. He says, hear me. Turn from your personal idols. I don't have personal idols. Yes, you do. So did they. Look at verse 6. They are personal. Uh, uh, Is it verse 6? Do I have that wrong in my notes? Man. Verse 5, the end of verse 5. Lest you say, my idol did them. My carved image, my metal commanded. That I commanded. We have personal idols It's my network that gets us by. It's my savings that's going to provide. It's my hard work that's going to pay off. It's my relationships that are going to benefit. It's my this, my that, our this, our that, so we can get what we want, security, status, significance. But only God can really give us those things. And we must turn from those things and turn back to the living God. And here's what happens when the presence of God, the weight of God, the glory of God is what we focus on and live for, it addresses the underlining realities that contribute to the ecosystem of whack and idol. It's the weight of his presence, the weight of his love that really flushes out everything else. And I want to give you two quick illustrations from Scripture. First, Isaiah's very call. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 6. And when he was called, he saw God's glory. Heavens opened up. Angels in heaven were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you know what Isaiah said? He said, wow, God's glorious. I can't wait to use him to build my own kingdom. I can't wait to use God to have friends. I can't wait to use God to to be successful at work. I can't wait to use God so I can be healthy, happy, and wealthy. That's not what he said. He saw God's glory. He saw God in who he was. And he was convicted and he confessed, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's what Peter did in Luke chapter 5 in the call to Peter. He was just fishing. And when God revealed himself to him, Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. His boat filled with fish, stanky and smelly fish. And when he saw God's glory, he saw Jesus in fully being the Son of God. He fell on his face in that stanky, fishy boat. And he said, away from me, a sinner. You see? How do we deal with that underlying system that contributes to whacking idol? Look at God's glory. Feel the weight of his presence. When you're really with them, oh man, it flushes out everything. It leads to confession. And then God comes and he cleanses Isaiah. The coals are taken from the altar and he purifies them. God cleanses us. And then what does he do? He commissions Isaiah. He did it to Isaiah. He did it to Peter. Confession, cleansing, commission. He'll do it to you if you trust him. That you can be restored and renewed in your purpose and find your role in God's glory story, the purpose that you're created for, not to be a glory hound and haunt glory, but to be a doormat for glory, that all that you have that you steward for the glory of God. 
That is how you deal with the underlining realities of whack-a-mole. Not that you find your status in how many zeros or how many commas you have or what your zip code is, but that you belong to the living God. Not that you find your significance in your performance, but that you find your significance in how Christ has performed for you. Not that you find security in who you know or, or, or what you do or whether or not you have an alarm system, but that you're secure in the love of God that not height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that, church? What happens is, this is what we end with, Mitchell, breathe. <laughs> I'm telling you, can you just put it all up there? This is how we live a life of glory. It's gospel-centered. It's all about the work of God. It's all about his covenant love that withholds his anger for us because he unleashed his anger on Jesus Christ. And when we understand what God has done for us, when we understand the redemption that's in him, when we take his work more serious than our own, then a love affection grows for Christ. It's not a self-resolve thing. You're going to spend your whole life doing this, and then you're going to get tired and quit and just give yourself to your idols until you can figure out how Jesus can really be the treasure of your life. How do you figure out that? Confession. Experiencing the cleansing that he offers. And then living the commission. Overflow of God's love pushes out these false gods of your heart. And then you're restored in purpose. You're commissioned to live for God's glory alone. And then you find joy. Your greatest joy is participating in God's glory story. And this is the point of C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. It's the point of John Piper's Christian Hedonism. If you haven't read his stuff, Desiring God, You Need To. This is the point. It's not that your desire is too great and you need to stop desiring and just be content with God's love. That's not it. It's that your desire is too weak. You desire life too weakly. Not like, you know what I mean, too weak. If you really hungered for life, really hungered for joy, then you would not be satisfied with the trinkets and the shiny things of our culture, thinking that actually some more zeros will give you everything you need. You will reject those because you hunger for substance that can only be found in the person and work of God, allowing his weight, his presence, and his priorities to be enough. You watch. You watch. When you take God's work more serious than your own, when you understand his grace more and more every day, your love affection will grow for him. And all those things you struggle with will become second, third, fourth, fifth place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that we can participate in your glory story. Lord, help us to be a people who surrender to you and satisfy our hearts with you enough. Help us to, as you enough, help us to be a people who hunger more and more for you, knowing that you alone are worthy of glory and honor and praise. Lord, we desire too little. And we long, we long, Christ, for you and us to be our everything, our more and more. Lord, restore us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.